Well, welcome to the Zealous Podcast. I'm your host, Rocky Snyder. We're going into rugby this week. I've got Ari Guardiaro on with me. He, originally from Italy, has been traveling the world as a strength conditioning coach with rugby. And now he's in Japan with women's sevens. If you don't know what the sevens are about, you're about to find out. Follow us on Instagram. Hit the subscribe button. Here we go. Ari, I can't thank you enough for coming on to Zealous Podcast. I mean, you were kind enough to reach out to me. I've been a, a huge rugby fan for many years. I've got some really dear friends of mine that, that played it competitively. I was too chicken, to be honest, to actually play. There was, you know, I, I'm not meant to be a rugby player, I don't think, uh, yeah. unless there's a water boy position that's opened up. But uh, the, the sevens, you, you're over in Japan, but you've been all over the world. You've been a strength and conditioning coach for a whole bunch of teams all across the globe. And now you're in Japan. So there's so much to talk about from the sevens to your, your path. How about that? Why don't we just start with your path and a yeah. little bit about where you, you came into strength and conditioning? What, what were your motivations for following this? And, and how did you end up where you are? All right. First, thank you very much for your time. Um, and so, actually, I'm Italian. I am an Italian over in Japan. So uh, I raised and born in Italy, uh, close to Naples. Um, and uh, I, I come from a city that is called Sessarunca, and uh, I have uh, completed my studies in Rome. I completed my master's degree in sports science at the University of Rome for Italico. Um, but uh, my background is actually track and field. I was a shop putter and yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I was a shop putter. So my, uh, all my, during my young ages, um, I was always around the fields, uh, uh, throwing, uh, you know, the shot or hammer or javelin. And um, so my first passion, my first love um, was uh, track and field. And uh, I was quite lucky that um, there is a, um, a big Olympic center, quite famous for pole vault, um, where I come from. Um, it's an international center um, where actually all the pole vaulter, uh, they come to train, Yelena uh, Zimbayeva. Um, and there is this famous head coach um, that is Vitaly Pedro from Ukraine. Um, and um, he is a kind of a guru of pole vault. And uh, that's, you know, like where I did start understanding a little bit more about uh, uh, strength and conditioning uh, and working at this Olympic center that is in Formia. So that's, you know, like the first part when I was uh, uh, educating myself and studying and learning, uh, um, uh, doing my intern uh, here and there with different kinds of sports. I worked in Italy, even if it sounds strange, I worked uh, as well with a little bit uh, of American football um, yeah, back in Italy. Really? And uh, of course, football, soccer in Italy is uh, quite big. So uh, my experience with that as well. And uh, but yeah, I was uh, um, always passionate with track and field. And uh, all of a sudden, uh, I always had uh, um, a big interest in, in the rugby, um, but could never play because uh, the city was quite far from where I was. And um, so I, when I went to university, I started uh, um, getting more interested in uh, studying and uh, understanding uh, a little bit more. And um, I went for uh, uh, an internship um, around, um, around Ireland, uh, and I did learn uh, over there 
um, how was actually, you know, like rugby played because Ireland is a huge nation, important huge. Uh, nation. And, um, you know, the passion of the athletes, the passion of the coaches. Uh, um, and, you know, for them, uh, I think it's, uh, it's a kind of a war. You know, when you, when you go on the field, uh, you leave everything out. Uh, and that's the fact. On the field, you leave everything out. And as soon as you leave the field, you are the best friend that we know you with, with your opponents and you make friends for the rest of your life. How is that? How is the cultural shift from mm. your, your growing up in Italy to being yeah. in Ireland? Were, were you yeah. welcome in or was it something that yeah. there was an unspoken barrier? Oh, uh, to be honest, you know, like um, I always found uh, a way to to connect with um, with the people, uh, any country, any country I've been. Um, I'm not sure is, uh, you know, like more about my character, but I always found a way to integrate myself, um, you know, in the place where I go. I think uh, uh, even here in Japan, you know, they can be quite um, a hard country because of, uh, of language. Um, the first thing I did uh, and I did put in my contract was uh, I need to have Japanese lesson, you know, every two, three days um, because it's such an important thing, the communication make everything easier so you know the integration uh, both in Ireland was okay and even when I went over to New Zealand um, there was the same thing um, I did uh, I was able to integrate myself with the Pacific Island community you know and uh, a huge uh, huge part in New Zealand uh, really close to the Italian culture you know the culture of the food of the family and uh, there was a, there was a beautiful thing so the the shift, uh, uh, there was, of course, difference, but at the same time, you always can find some common points. And um, I think it's all about ourselves and our, now we process that. Um, so, yeah, yeah. It was interesting um, to go Ireland first. And after Ireland, uh, I came over to USA to study a little bit, um, especially with the NSEA. Uh, USA track and field and USA weightlifting. I went on to do um, all those courses uh, um, to to learn a little bit more. I like to study, so um, I came over to say, okay, let's see how USA does uh, does those things, you know. And um, because in Italy I already knew the Italian system, so I wanted yeah. to explore a little bit more uh, what other countries are doing. And um, after USA came this opportunity of New Zealand. And New Zealand is just beautiful. And uh, I don't know if you had, had the chance to, to visit or to know, but it's, wow, incredible. Fantastic. Yeah, no, but I've, I've got many friends from there and all of them the most polite, generous individuals on the planet. How long were you in Wellington for? So I was in Wellington for two years. I was in the Porirua area. And uh, that's the fact, Porirua area is quite famous for, uh, you know, the Pacific Island the community. Um, so I had uh, the chance, you know, to work uh, with Samoans, with the Tongans, with the Fijians. Uh, um, and that, that's fantastic. You know, like, they are beautiful athletes. They're just incredible athletes. Such but they're enormous, athletes. too. Aren't they just yes. super sized, though? How, how, that must be just amazing to work yes. with humans of that that magnitude yeah you know like um with them uh, probably one of the most important component is the mental aspect eh? uh, probably being able to find the key 
to turn them on um and um because they are naturally you know naturally they are gifted um they are fast they are strong um really really powerful at least and uh, because they uh, they live in new zealand they they breed in um rugby and so they have an understanding of the game that in other countries you don't have it uh, and as much as you know like we can try to compensate with the athletic ability in some other countries for them is always going to be natural and easier and um mm -hmm. but you know strength and conditioning side for example a big focus is for them to lose weight uh most of the time the problem with you know being overweight or you know like accumulate uh, um the fats and that was one of the points we had to work when i was there um but in uh in wellington area uh it's quite windy so you know like uh um, most of them, most of the of the Pacific Island athletes, they like swimming, they like to go fishing, uh, and uh, that's one way for them to stay active as well and connected with uh, with where they come from, you know. And then after your two years with Wellington, how did the mm. Japanese team come in? Because you're you, you are the strength conditioning coach for the women's seven team in Japan. Yes, precisely. And yes. The Nagato Blue Angels. Yes, yes. That's okay. The one. And how how did you land that position? So, um, I, when I was in New Zealand, I was working with the New Zealand Sports Academy. Once I finished over there, actually, I did move over to Brazil. So uh, before Japan, I, I went over to Brazil and I did work over in Brazil for seven years. And um, I lived in Sao Paulo area for seven years. I did uh, take the, the woman team over there, the seventh woman team um, for the two Olympic Games of Rio and uh, Tokyo 2020. That, after that was uh, 2021. Um, and uh, that's when uh, as well, uh, I was able to not only work with the woman sevens, but um, I started shifting as well uh, main 15 men sevens because uh, um to the end of my of my contract i actually became the head of the performance um of the entire federation so i was in charge of the strength and conditioning program not only of the sevens but of the 15 of the under 20 um so the youth development part um and there was a huge experience you know of brazil uh, on the other side different culture um, probably less money compared to those other countries. Um, but at the same time, you can see the passion. You can see the passion of the people that they want to do it. Uh, Brazil is not a huge um, rugby nation, but you know you, you can find uh, athletes and people that they want to make it happen. And uh, after Tokyo 2020, actually we came here in Japan to prepare ourselves you know oh. so we came for a period um, where we did the preparation here in Nagato and so I started connecting with the high performance manager of, of the team and um, when say when I finished my contract back in uh, in Brazil uh, we had the chat and he said oh my I've seen uh, I've seen how you work uh, would you be interested in coming over uh, in Japan and I said okay let's let's do it and uh, so I did uh, catch the airplane. I went back to Italy first, a little bit of charging the batteries back in Italy. <laughs> and I came 
over here in Japan. So basically Nagato, Yamaguchi area, that it's a couple of hours from uh, Fukuoka. And the Nagato Blue Angels is, um, uh, for the last four years, they've been uh, the champion of, of the league, the Taiyo Semi League, that is the higher uh, woman league here in Japan, seventh league. Um, and uh, we played last year now because we are in season. The season just started. So we are in season now and uh, we have played the first tournament. We finished it first. And uh, next week we are going to have the second leg because the championship um, is four tournaments in total played across different weeks. And um, at the end, similar to the World Series, similar to the World Series of, of World Rugby, after, uh, after four, uh, four legs, four series, you're crowned champion if everything goes right. Fantastic. So, so what is the culture, the Japanese culture in regards to rugby? Because I, I've got to say, Ari, it was not a country when I think of rugby that mm. I think of South Africa, New Zealand, yes. Ireland, England, mm. uh, heck, Germany, and then maybe the United States. I, Japan was never in the conversation. Yeah. yeah. So it, it, Japan, um, I think uh, um, Japanese, they are like that. If they decide that they are going to make it happen. Eh? So um, they decide, I think, uh, you know, probably around uh, 10 years ago, they actually decided that rugby was going to be, you know, like a national sport. And they started investing a lot. Um, you know, there is a good system in place coming through the school, university, um, and uh, both men and women. Um, the men side, uh, after that, uh, the last two World Cup, uh, men 15, um, they actually had really, really good results, even making the quarterfinal and beating a uh, nation like South Africa. They did beat South Africa. No and, kidding. Uh, yeah. So, and there, you know, like when the nation were like, we need to support, uh, we need to support rugby, you know? And uh, because of the culture of rugby about uh, respecting uh, discipline, integrity, it really fit with the Japanese culture. You know, like uh, I remember, um, I remember when it was the football World Cup um, uh, just last year, and it came out this big video of the Japanese um, uh, supporters that after finishing the game, they were cleaning the stadium. You know, this is something that uh, it's normal here. Everyone does it, you know. Um, uh -huh. it's, it's just part of the culture of respecting each other, respecting the place where you live. And that kind of culture really fit in the rugby community as well, of respecting, uh, you know, leave the place better um, than when you actually arrive. And um, so Japan um, is uh, now is a rugby nation. I think it's been even promoted to uh, tier one nation that are, you know, like the top tier in the world. Wow. Uh, the men 15 side. While the woman side, um, the 15th team um, play, did play in the World Cup and the 7th team um, is on the World Series. So it's on the mass, maximum league of, of the competition of Rugby 7s. And uh, we have uh, um, six players of the national team that are actually in our club. So wow. quite a lot of players that come from our club uh, and they are part of the national team, yes. Fantastic. Yeah. So for the listening audience, maybe not familiar with rugby, the rugby, yeah. the sevens are a condensed version 
of the larger game that's traditionally played. Instead of 15 players, you've got seven on each side and you've got seven minute halves. So it's a, a very quick turnaround. And normally when you have the sevens, there's a collection of teams that come together in a tournament and it's just one every 15 minutes, you got another one going another. So you can see four matches in one hour and talk about like drinking from a fire hose for your eyes. That's what the sevens are like. They first came as far as I know, like to, to Las Vegas. That's when I started to find out about them. And then Los, Los Angeles, San, San Francisco just had them a, a short yeah. while ago. And it yeah. is fantastic. It is just great electricity, great athleticism. And it is a fierce amount of powerful people. Mm-hmm. So, so Ari, my question, you just, you're starting your season. You're just now in the in season. How did you prepare your female athletes? Like in terms of programming, but if, if you could be somewhat specific, are there lifts that you went to? Are there components that you needed to get mm-hmm. through, say leading up to the, the month before the season began? Yes, oh, great question. Um, as you said, the, probably the first point where I always start is the analysis of the sport. Uh, you know, like as you said, the competition is usually played on is, is usually played on two days or three days, and in total uh, six matches because you usually have uh, three matches in the pool, and after that you have quarterfinal, semifinal, and final. So six match. Now some format are played on two days or. So Three, uh, three games, three games, or some other format day on three days. So you play two games, two games, two games. Um, so probably that's the first point, uh, how the game is played. Uh, one game is 14, is 14 minutes, as you said. So seven minutes, two minutes break, seven minutes, and uh, seven players on the field. So the field is the same size of the 15. And that's already, you know, you as soon as you see it, you say, wow, you have just seven players, that they actually have to cover the entire field. And that one is a big demand, uh, you know, on the energy system. Wow, you know, like that's why I think uh, sevens compared to the 15, um, you know, you really have a big component of athleticism um, because uh, if you are not fit, if you are not fast, uh, if you are not powerful, as you said, you will never be able to make it because in 15, uh, let's say you can hide a little bit because of, uh, you know, like the numbers of the players, but on the seven is mainly one on one. You cannot hide. <laughs> yeah. And now in terms of substitution too, for, correct me if I'm wrong, you yeah. can only substitute in five players during the yeah, match, that's right? The one. Yeah. So, and as well, you know, like depending the league, some of the rules change, but yeah, some, it's something like that. And, uh, you know, uh, it's uh, it's really brutal sport. It's brutal sport. In the past, it was played, uh, let's say, as a summer sport for the 15. Eh? But now it specializes too much that, you know, you have to be a rugby sevens player. Now, go back, I go back to, to your question about the preparation. Um, we had a quite uh, a long uh, preseason. Uh, we started uh, in, uh, we started in uh, February. Okay. So we went February, March, April. May and after that, oh. uh, in in June now, like end of May, um, we we started playing. So we had big preparation. Um, is that common? Four months of preseason is that a common amount? So like um, usually, usually what happened on the World Series, usually on the, what happened on the World Series, um, you start playing, for example, in December, and you know you know your preparation start uh, around um, you know August. 
August, September, October, November, because after that you have a really, really long season that goes from December all the way to all the way to June. While here, um, no, the, our season is going to be just two months. But this time we wanted to do everything right because um, uh, last year we fell short in the final. And so this year we went like, okay, we have to do the job. We had to make it happen. So we were, we were, we were uh, uh, on the top of, of that. And uh, the, the good thing is that the athletes and the staff, everyone did buy the idea. And we went, you know, we went really, really hard on our season, on our preseason preparation. Um, now, like the component, uh, the component that I like to um, uh, stimulate in, in, in the program um, are different ones. As, as I said to you, I always go back to the game because sometimes one of the disconnections that you can find in the strength and conditioning coach is that they talk about uh, power, uh, they talk about strength, they talk about speed. But they do not relate to the game and they become a strength and conditioning you know like oh, one area and after that you say okay but now we need to go to the field <laughs> and there is that part that is missing uh, between the two things that you do the two areas the two aspects um mm -hmm. and uh one of the things that i have tried to do from the beginning here is always trying to to transfer what we are doing in the gym on the field uh, we are quite lucky to have um, a big indoor green room, okay? Um, uh, so um, with the synthetic, uh, um, with the synthetic ground, and uh, you know, like the good thing is that um, from the gym we can just go over, and uh, so um, most of the the lifting that we do after that uh, we were able to transfer and power and speed straight on the field. And that's for me, that's the dream. You know, that's uh, the best thing uh, that I think a strength and conditioning uh, can have, you know, have the gym close to the, you know, the field. And after the, you do some uh, heavy lifting, after that, you transfer that straight into power exercise. Um, uh, contrast, complex training, uh, um, that, that's big component of uh, how I as well plan my training in the gym. Um, and does it flow back and forth from the weight room to the pitch and yes. back to the weight room yes. to the pitch? So it's almost like a circuit yes. style. We're going to do lifts and then I need you. And then we go. Yeah. It's, always, really? it's not always like that. It's not always like that. I mean, like, especially closer, especially now closer to the, um, to the competition, to the in-season, that one become more and more important. Of course, at the beginning of the preparation, most of the, the work was done uh, mainly in the gym, you know, in, in a separate contest. But now that we are close to the competition, that is the kind of flow. You know, for example, here now it's eight o'clock and uh, I'm going to have a session at 9.30. And, um, you know, we are going to have a power session in the gym. And after that, we go straight into resisted speed, um, you know, straight after. Um, and uh, that's probably, you know, uh, the good thing. And our players were quite uh, uh, superior during this weekend when we played um, the dominant, both physically um, and mentally, uh, because we really challenged them, you know. Um, and uh, yeah, now the other component, as we said, because just seven players playing on the field, you really need to have, uh, you know, big, huge aerobic capacity. But at the same time, you know, you have to be able to complete a sprint, complete a high intensity action 
with short recovery. So the energy system that are actually stimulated in rugby sevens are all of them, you know, um, it's a huge mix, huge mix of uh, uh, stimulation of the energy system. And um, one of the things that I try to replicate in the training environment is to stress the player, you know, to be able to, to face the worst case scenario, you know, like uh, um, the unexpected, the situation where they have to complete um, one taker less than 10 seconds rest. And after that, they have to complete a sprint complete the try, they have to be ready for a kickoff. And trying to create those situations where the athlete is both mentally and physically stressed, that when uh, it's going to happen on the field, they will be ready for that. Wow. Yeah. That sounds fantastic. Yeah. yeah, yeah so yeah. when it comes to your power mm. movements, those yes. the, the, the lifts or exercises you select, we're, we're talking about grappling. We're talking about tackling. We're not yes. talking about grabbing a bar. So yeah. I'm imagining that you've, you do a, a good deal of medicine ball or sandbags that are just you know, hard to grab or undulating That's or shifting. Is, is that along the, uh, what you do? Precisely. You know, uh, you know like uh, now it always depends on the athletes. Uh, depend the kind of athletes I have, uh, um, because uh, I like, um, I'm not like, uh, I don't like to fix one uh, training uh, method, you know, one exercise, um, because sometimes you can have athletes that they are able to do way to complete weightlifting, where, you know, like with a really good technique, some other athletes, they will never be able to learn it. Um, and um, here for, for a big example this year, uh, we had athletes coming from Kenya and athletes coming from New Zealand. Some of the athletes coming from Kenya, you know, they never actually lifted hard or, you know, learned uh, how to properly do, you know, an ankling or a snatch. So with them to get the benefit of the weightlifting, uh, I had to go through a huge process while uh, probably just using a medicine ball, you know, I can get some of the same results of weightlifting uh, with less technical components, and they are able to transfer that on the field. Now, as you said, the big component of rugby is all the grappling exercise, you know, the fighting component, being close into each other, try to lift each other, wrestling. Um, that's one part. And uh, yeah, that's one part that, for example, uh, it goes close in the gym, and after that, transfer that on the tatami, you know, on the fighting part. Um, but in the gym, uh, let's say I like to I like to have always a power exercise as a first exercise. Um, usually it's hang clean or a hang snatch. Um, it can be heavy medicine ball throw, 15 kg, 20 kg medicine ball throw, where you actually need to use your complete body to throw. Um, it can give me that kind of activation uh, as a first power exercise. And after that, I have all the um, multi-joint exercise, uh, uh, of course, deadlift, squat, uh, bench press, uh, um, shoulder press, all those multi-joint exercise of chin up, deep. Uh, those are the main ones that are always part of my program. Are they the only one? Uh, or, you know, like um, if the athletes uh, say, oh, I cannot complete uh, the, bench, the bench press because I had uh, previous injuries in my career, 
uh, am I going to like force or am I going to push uh, to say, oh no, we have to bench, yes or yes? No, never. That's uh, something that uh, um, I have learned in my career that it always depends the athlete that you have in front of you, depend the contest. Um, so, and um, and the last part usually that I put in the in the gym uh, in the gym training are some of the water bag exercise. Uh, um, uh, you know, like um, some of the water bag exercise to stimulate uh, um, the that ability of the athlete to be ready for the unexpected, you know, um, to work both on the stability, um, the core strengthening, uh, um, and the water bag is challenging, you know, the players like to use it um, as a, you know, as a different kind of tool. And um, it's quite easy to carry around uh, uh, when we travel uh, uh, for the tournament as well. And it's something that they always have with them. And so I have uh, started uh, integrating more and more the water bag training, uh, um, especially regarding running technique and water bag. Um, and I have implemented it in, in my training sessions here in the gym. Very good. Okay, then for, for conditioning or strengthening mm -hmm. an athlete in preparation of a scrum, do you yeah. have specific... I can, I can see maybe sled push to some degree or some modified sled where you can put the shoulders down and drive. But what, yeah. kind, of, what kind of elements or activities do you implement in, if any, yeah. when it comes to preparing for, for getting in a scrum? Yeah, um, really good question. So um, the scrum, uh, let's say that um, I had experience to working with the scrum for the 15. And for the sevens, because of course the mechanics are a little bit different. But uh, let's say that uh, um, definitely, you know, uh, sled push, you know, proler, uh, that's a big component. Um, we use them uh, um, with even uh, really, really high loads. Uh, so, for example, with the men, um, in the past I used the sled push with the 300, the 240 kg on the on the sled. Uh, so really, really heavy just for oh. them to, you know, like to work on those angles um, uh, and depending the period, uh, depending the period as well of the season uh, on the opposite side, going really, really uh, light and actually trying to, to work on that power and expressing that force in a short time. Um, at the same time, because of the angles, um, I have used a lot exergeny. Um, the exergeny, you know, like give me the chance to work on those angles and to easily uh -huh. um, as well regulate the load um, with the harness and yeah. uh, the players, they just love it, you know, because you can just hook the exergeny on the wall and they can all, they all go through those exercises uh, and you can easily change the load, the lighter or way heavier. Um, so ex exergeny, uh, big component as well. Um, and um, after that, there are some exercises that we usually do on the rack with the elastic bands, where the athletes are in the um, in the position for the scrum, and you know, like um, they can even uh, simulate, you know, the grappling uh, with the left arm or with the right arm, depending the position um, with the elastic band. So they push, go back in position, push, go back in position. Um, but at the same time, I found quite helpful. As much as uh, the angles are different, uh, of course, heavy lifting helping uh, the scrum. 
So, you know, especially doing some heavy squats, heavy deadlift, um, I found uh, benefit for the scrum um, because the scrum is such a high force, um, you know, situation of the game production, um, you know, and it's not only about the column, but, you know, like the strength of the neck of yeah. huge, uh, huge uh, amount of load on the neck. Um, the, the ability of the shoulder to reach different kind of range of motion when you have to grab, you know, and you have to pull um, huge stress. And um, that's why it's not, it's not only um, the angle, but, you know, it's trying to prepare the entire body from the top to the bottom to get ready for that kind of uh, stress when the scrum happen. Huge amount of load, huge amount of load. So how often do you change the patterns of movement? Uh, you're just, you were kind of mimicking a, a pulling action and you had your arm going in one direction versus another. We could internally or externally rotate that arm in various positions. Do you, do you have them explore that during a lift or you just change it up? Is, is there a, a, a method to kind of disrupting patterns? Mm -hmm. So um, as I said to you, going to back to the game, um that's when uh, depending the part of the season in, if we are you know far away from the season um uh, probably the work is a little bit more general um but one good thing that um in my experience always helped was the relation with the head coach with the technical coach because with the technical coach and you know having a chat with the technical coach you can understand uh, how they see things and how I can manipulate my training for them to be happy. Um, so I usually like to work really, really close to the head coach uh, um, because maybe the head coach, you know, like uh, during the first period of the season, he's avoiding a lot of work on scrum. While, you know, when he get closer, he may increase uh, um, that component. Uh, now in the gym, um, I like to, especially if they are, um, because um, the position, eh, depend the position, the forwards are the one that usually play in the scrum and uh, um, they are the one that need to go through this kind of training. Um, so the forward, uh, that are usually the biggest players, the huge one on the field. Um, they go through that kind of a training, um, you know, like, even during the even during uh, uh, the early phase of the season, uh, twice per week, when you know, like when you get closer, uh, that part can go higher, higher, higher. Um, and uh, in the gym, uh, um, I like to change those components every three weeks. Um, and so on a on a three week base, um, change those components. Um, but on the technical side, that's different because. Um, usually technical part uh, they have to execute on the field anyway and there will always be some components of uh, one versus one scrum um you know or um one versus one fighting on the field those are as well some components that we use uh, to help uh, um the athlete to get you know better conditioning because sometimes we need to avoid a lot of load uh, on the legs big volume of running uh, so especially with those forwards that they are, uh, some, you know, 140 kg, 130 kg, big volume of runnings are not possible. Um, so the fighting component 
it become uh, a really, really interesting tool to use it instead of uh, a lot of running. Now with the woman and with the sevens, that's a little bit different. Um, with the woman, um, probably the problem that we you face, and this is something that uh, still need to be explored, is uh, how the training can be regulated based on the period, you know, on the menstrual cycle. And that's quite this interesting aspect. In terms of testosterone level or hormonal changes, is that what you're yes. talking about? Yeah. yeah. And so how can you tap into more, more strength components based on where they are in their cycle? Yeah, but that's really, really hard. And that's something that I've been trying to do a lot because I've worked with the woman for a, for a while. But in, in team sports, I think it's quite, quite hard. Um, uh, you need to have a really, really good program in place. You need to have uh, um, the, the appropriate staff that understand uh, how that, that aspect work. And uh, because, you know, like it's such a complex component about hormones that you cannot control and affect, of course, the training. So um, with the woman, uh, you know, we need, always need to be careful uh, um, what part of the period they are, you know, like we need to be careful what kind of stimulus we are the, giving them, um, the volume that we are going to use, uh, because sometimes that perception change all of a sudden just like that you know because of the variation of the hormones and uh, even uh, if you think about on a rpe scale uh, we planned as a coach uh, a session that on the rpe is maybe you know just four or five and all of a sudden they give you an eight nine they're like oh whoa, 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 whoa. what is happening why is happening that uh -huh. you know that was expected uh, a lower perception and you're giving me an eight nine um uh, there must be something that we need to check and it can be just that you know and uh, that's the complex part that's why i like to work a lot with the woman because with the men everything is like you know smooth the man they go you say you we need to go a b c really simple let's do it with the woman uh, it's quite complex and challenging every day so that's the, the good part that i like it and how many athletes are on the squad on the team so we have 21 at the moment um but uh the team that travel is usually 14 and of those athletes how many are japanese nationals compared yeah. to foreign uh athletes so um, at the moment we have uh seven uh, players uh, that are um, national team players between uh, um sorry eight players between the national team of japan of sevens and 15 because they both play, play both codes Mm -hmm. And after that, we have another uh, six foreigners. Um, they, they come and they are contracted just for the season. And um, yeah, as I said to you, that's the other part from different parts of the world. So we have athletes from Kenya, from New Zealand, uh, from Netherlands, from, uh, from Brazil. Um, yeah, so different from Canada. Uh, so different athletes with different uh, experience and background. And that's the challenging part as well of the preseason um, and the preparation. You know, you have such a different uh, background and culture is that uh, it's hard to fix just one training um, kind of a method. I almost like, all right, what did you do in your experience? You know, what is your background as athlete? And uh, after that, uh, based on that, we try to adjust our preparation. Uh, based on their background, because maybe here in Japan, 
it's all about big volume of training um you know hard session hard session or hard session all the time while sometimes for those foreigners athlete they come from a different background of of, of training and uh you know like maybe um shorter session but high intensity running um and uh, you know maybe the focus is more on speed than actually on the aerobic part and uh, the interesting and the ability is uh, how adjusting that um to make everyone to perform at the same time with different background and expectation so that's that's an interesting part as well yes yeah i would say so now what what's the most what are the most common injury sites when it comes to rugby what what are you dealing with? Uh, so, of course, uh, you have ACL. ACL, that's unfortunately is um, you know one of the biggest injuries and uh, quite quite long uh, as well uh, rehab process. So ACL is uh, one of the most common one um, because of the nature of the contact of the sport. Um, unfortunately, a lot of injuries to the neck and the concussion as well that's a big component that as well world rugby is uh, is working a lot on that um because uh, you know compared to um, to american football for example you play you play without protections yes. you know so um, and uh, so you really need to work on your tackling technique to avoid uh, injuries and concussions yeah um after that, in line, probably is um, shoulder dislocation. Um, and the last one, uh, uh, but this one is changing and is getting better and better is, uh, you know, like just um, uh, broken ankle. Um, these kind of injuries in the past, I think, were most common, especially on the woman's side. Uh, I think because there was a, a, a not a good management of the load. So uh, there were a lot of players, women players that had that kind of injury, while now it's getting better, you know. Um, I, but the most common one that we have to deal is ACL injury, especially with the woman. So and, how uh, do you do a little, so we'll call it bulletproofing. How do, you, yeah. how do you make it more resilient so that the ACL doesn't take the brunt? Are, are, do you have certain kind of approaches, movements, protocols in place? Yeah, so um, I, I go back to the point that I like to, to work with the head coach. So, you know, like I go back to the head coach and say how you want to play the game, you know. And uh, if I understand that the coach, you know, like uh, really like fast athletes or a lot of stepping, that's when I go back and I change my program. Um, I like to do a lot of work in the gym, uh, plyometric exercise, with a big emphasis on the eccentric component. Um, and that one, I found it a way helpful uh, for the athlete to get ready um, for uh, those deceleration moments on the field. Um, that one is in the gym, um, of course, uh, um, on the field as well. Um, but that one is more about, you know, like uh, um, short and sharp change of direction, controlled situation and after that evolve into the uncontrolled to unexpected so the shift is you go in the gym you work on those component plyometric eccentric that's control easy no problem 
After that, you move on the field, some really, really simple exercise of cutting, shuffling, um, where it's still controlled, but now there is uh, boats involved, there is change of direction, and the last component of progression is the one v one with an opponent, uh -huh. um, and that's the kind of progression I always follow. Um, you know, both if the athletes need to come back from an injury, um, or just for them to be prepared for uh, for the competition. That's the kind of progression, but I find uh, quite helpful if we're talking about just the gym, plyometric work and eccentric work exercise. Um, that one I found quite helpful to, you know, try to get the athlete ready um, to avoid. Well, that makes sense. Now, out of the background of studies that you've had, uh, especially like with the certifications, with US mm. weightlifting, with the NSCA, with yeah. exos exos tactical uh, yeah. training systems yeah. um, and your irish rugby conditioning course mm. well maybe we'll put that aside because that is specifically for rugby yeah. out of the nsca usa weightlifting and exos what did you pull from there that you apply to your your work with rugby players mm. like are there are there specific concepts movements strategies that you can say, oh yeah, I've got this from Exos. It really, it went into play quite well, even though it was for tactical, this is for rugby. Good question. Um, as you said, I, I did steal a little bit from every, everywhere. I would know? hope so. That's and, how this uh, group is, yes. That's, good. Uh, that's, uh, that's the good thing. Let's say Exos was really, really important for me to give uh, the structure of the system. They are really good in having uh, you know, that overall view of the strength and conditioning uh, program um, and so um, you know like the system uh, um, of uh, plyometric work the system of speed uh, um, and that is just done in such a simple way uh, that makes sense and it's effective so probably from exos uh, i did still you know like that one have a system have a system in place first mm -hmm. um, for example from usa weightlifting uh, um, you know, it was uh, important for me um, because um, coming from a track and field background, I always did uh, um, weightlifting as athlete. Okay, so I was familiar with those kind of exercise. Um, but probably just going into USA weightlifting uh, was good uh, to see the competitive part of, uh, you know, like of uh, weightlifting. Uh, while for me at the time, even as athlete, even now as a strength and conditioning coach, is one component of the training. It's not the main component. And while uh, with them it was like, oh, okay, yeah, this is it. you have to do it as a competition, you know, um, that's your competition. That's how you get evaluated. And um, so um, probably yeah, the let's uh, let's say from USA weightlifting was uh, strict strict to the technique. To the quality technique of the lifting um and that there was uh probably the learning from there um yeah nsca nsca of course you know a huge and important uh association and uh similar to similar probably to um, to exos um it, it's important to give that kind of uh, overall um structure um, to not only the the practical part, but even uh, what you have in uh, in your mind. That sometimes you know 
you can nail yes. all across and you're like oh no wait 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 let's go just step one step two step three um and SCAA was uh, was a really um for me at the time because I did complete my certification uh, um between Italy and I came in USA to complete the tactical one um and uh it was probably the first moment when I understood uh, um the system that there is behind uh, uh, you know and how as well USA um think about that because of course uh, in Italy um, it's a little bit different. Uh, in Italy, most of the strength and conditioning coaches, uh, they are always uh, already in the sport. You know, I'm, I am a football player uh, and I will shift into strength and conditioning. So I, I already come from that kind of environment. It's really hard that, for example, as a football player, and I become, uh, um, you know, SNC coach and for, for rugby, um, I usually stick to the same... Uh, um, the kind of environment um, while you know in USA that's the beautiful thing you have different specialists that they come from different background that they work with different sports and that's positive huge you mm -hmm. know uh, it's incredible because the, my background maybe in track and field now I can apply a lot of things in rugby you know I imagine and yes different kind of benefits so yeah. Back to the Blue Angels. You're in yes. season now. Yes. How how is your programming in regards to their their match schedule? So when they have games, are they on the same nights of the week? Is it a fairly uniform thing from one week to the next, or is it sporadic where there'll be two matches, one on a Sunday, another on a Wednesday? The next week you're playing three matches at different days of the week. Yes. So you're going from game day minus two game day minus one yeah. or how, how does it work for you and so imagine that we are playing every two weeks okay so we play one weekend two weeks rest playing again two weeks ah. rest playing again two weeks rest playing again and every time is two days of tournament oh that's got to be so nice i mean yeah. in terms of program design you're not you're not chaotic and, yes. and you can and and what about traveling to different time zones? Are you roughly in the same time zone, yeah. or, or is there a lot of sleep considerations? No, no. For um, especially in Japan, we don't have the problem of the time zone. Usually, our uh, travel is always done on the Shinkansen, the, the fast train, um, and so we the bullet train. So um, uh, just probably is going to be just one tournament where we need to um, catch the airplane. So with the sleeping time, uh, we have not a huge problem. Um, but in the past, for example, when I was working on the World Series, there was a, a big component of the traveling. Eh? Um, but let's say that our preparation at the moment, uh, um, when we enter the week of the, of the tournament, that's mainly just a, a quality recovery and tapering week. Um, we usually have just um, two rugby sessions, um, usually one on the Monday, one on the Wednesday. Um, and after that, we have the captain run. That is the last rugby session. But that one is just, you know, just quality, um, a really, really short session. Uh, maximum, uh, we are around 2.5 kilometers. Um, and, um, but the two first session of the week are the, like the main one where we can overload a little bit more the players. Um, and after that, usually we have, two gym sessions and one speed. Um, the speed component is always there. 
even if it's just um, uh, three reps on the 40 meters, uh, you know, with the GPS, where I can check at what percentage of their maximum speed are, but just quality, you know, uh, it, it's not uh, volume, it's not quantity. Um, and usually that one is done just before the rugby session. And, mm. uh, you know, so they have a warm up. They go for three uh, sprints on the 40 meters. We check their speed on, uh, on the GPS. And after that, they are on, on the rugby part. Um, and uh, in the gym, usually during the week of the tournament, uh, um, I work a lot as well with the velocity-based training. I like to monitor the velocity of the lifting. So the athletes, you know, they, they kind of a challenge uh, to each other. Um, of course, uh, the overload, the load that they use uh, is not super high, but the focus is to move that load really, really fast. Fabulous. And, yeah. While uh, the week after the tournament, of course, the focus is the recovery. Um, sure. And we are quite clear, you know, with the coaches uh, and the physios, uh, um, the main goal as soon as we come back here, um, it's the recovery time. So the players, the, the day after the tournament, they are one day off. The following one, they have the first medical check back, so physiotherapy. And that's when some players, uh, um, they have the options um, to complete some uh, extra training if they want. Otherwise, they can have another day of rest and they will just take part to a pool session. Mm. And, uh, and that one is quite just a flash, pool session, recovery, stretching, uh, focus on the breathing. After that, we go for our uh, tournament review. On the Wednesday, it's the first gym session. The first gym session back, we see how they move in the gym. You know, we see if there is uh, any problem. So you can start seeing, having a chat, you know, how everyone is feeling. The Thursday one, first field session. Um, and that's when we start increasing again at the load back. Um, still not a huge overload, but, you know, you start exploring... Uh, um, about, you know, how was the weekend, uh, um, you know, if there are some components that we have to work for the last session of the week before we get into the tournament week again. And uh, on Friday, again, gym and speed. And the last one is on the Saturday where we have a huge uh, um, rugby session. That's when we overload them again. The Sunday is recovery and the Monday we go again. Wow. Yeah, yeah, it's so nice to have that system, like you say, and to have a, a constant frequency of matches over the course of that time. Wow. Yeah. Well, the yeah. time has flown by, Ari. I can't believe it. We've already gone through it. And I will make sure that I put contact in the description below the podcast so people can follow the Nagato Blue Angels, yourself, and so on. But I, I want to finish with one final question. Hmm. We have got the Olympics coming up. and the, the, the sevens will be in the future Olympics. If the, the, the national team for Japan, the Olympic team calls you up, the same week, the Italian team calls you up. Oh. <laughs> and they want you to come to the Olympics. And is, is, that's going to be a tough decision. Do you have oh, an answer to that? That's a, that's a tough decision. That's a really, really <laughs> tough decision. Well, maybe but, you can yeah. answer it when that time comes. I don't want to put you on a spot. Thank you very but much. This has been really a, a treat. I, I love talking rugby. I love, love talking strength conditioning. And, and you blended the two quite well together. So thank you so much for coming on. 
Thank you very much. Thank you very much for your time. And again, uh, beautiful and great service uh, to the strength and conditioning coaches of your podcast. So thank you very much for your time. You got it. And that's it for the Zealous Podcast. Man, that was a fun conversation that flew by real fast. That's what happens when you talk about things you really enjoy. Ari, thanks for coming on. Really had a great time. If you want a little bit more insight into rugby, check out our archives. We've had the New England team. We've had, oh, man, I I just can't go into it. Just check our archives. We're coming up on almost 200 episodes by now, so there's a whole bunch of great guests that you can check out if you're just new to Zealous or you just want to have some drive time and something fun to listen to. Until next week, every Monday, 6 a.m. Pacific, 9 a.m. Eastern, we'll see you then.